listen, I want to take a moment and give it up for all of those who are joining with us online for the first time right now. Can you give it up for them? Come on. Yeah, welcome. We're so glad that you're joining with us today, and we pray that you feel the presence of God in your homes or wherever you're watching us from today. And uh, listen, today uh, is a special day because we're going to be talking about marriage. And if you're kind of struggling through the challenges of that, I hope that today you find healing in your relationships. Well, listen, why don't you do this? Would you grab your copy of God's Word? And if you don't have a Bible, let us know. We'll gladly give you a Bible free of charge, as well as the opportunity to follow along online. We've got our notes online available as well, and the YouVersion app of the Bible. And so you can follow us there or any of our social media platforms. But can you say this with me? Say, I am what God's Word says I am. I can do what God's word said I can do. I can become all that God said I could be. So today, I'll hear God's word, I'll receive God's word, and I'll obey God's word because I love his word. Now turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, you look really good today. You better get ready. It might be a little messy in here when we talk about marriage. (laughs) How many of you know the enemy is after our homes? (laughs) The devil is after your marriage. He wants to distract. He wants to destroy your marriage. And if he can begin with you and your spouse at odds with each other, if he can have your kids play you against one another, which often happens in relationships and in families, If he can find a way to put a divide between you and the one you said that you would be committed to loving the rest of your life, then he's got you right where he wants you. And I am taking a stand today and using God's word to showcase how we can put this thing back together again. I want to help you in your marriage. But I can say this for those of you that are unmarried today, either single by choice or by situation, this is going to apply to you as well. Because this has to do with all human relationships. And and when we talk about relationships, I want you to understand that it's not just about having a godly marriage, but it's having a godly life. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would please. Ephesians chapter 4 has been the staple verse over the last week and now this week. And Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, it says it like this. Let our lives lovingly express the truth in all things, speaking truly, dealing truly, and living truly. Now, I don't want to re-preach last week's message, but if you didn't hear it, you need to go back to our YouTube channel or on one of our social media platforms to be able to hear that message because it really set the foundation, it set the stage for what I'm going to talk about today. But I don't want to leave anybody out, and if you happen to not been here last week, I will try my best to give you a short and sweet review without re-preaching the whole message over again. And if I re-preach a little bit, it may be for some of you who were here last week and you forgot. All right. So let's be honest about our relationships. It's hard to follow that verse because that verse can be summed up in one word and that word is honesty. It's hard to be honest and vulnerable in relationships. Why? Because our greatest human fear is the fear of rejection. All of us, our greatest human need is to be loved and to be accepted. And so in order to uh, uh, keep ourselves from being rejected 
And being vulnerable, we hide, we put on our mask, and we don't want to reveal who we're really like. Because if I reveal who I'm really like, what I'm really like, you may not like it, you may reject it, and I don't have anything else to offer but myself. And so when we talk about this, we got to go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, the very first couple in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve. We understand that Adam was created out of the dust of the ground, but Eve was a helper, a helpmate suitable for him. She was created out of Adam's rib and uh, close to his heart, right? This is a beautiful symbolic picture of how he was to love his wife. And you know that God in that precious moment, he created this beautiful garden that Adam and Eve could live in a a picture of paradise, this romantic paradise where there's no problems and worries and pains. And, And God set up only one tree. He didn't say don't touch any tree. He could have said don't touch any tree or the fruit of any tree, but he just said just one, one tiny little tree in the middle of the garden. Just don't eat of that particular fruit. And Satan comes in and he lies and like he always does. And through the serpent, he tempts Eve. And of course, Adam is right there beside her as Eve is being tempted to eat of the fruit of that one particular tree in the Garden of Eden. And this is where all the problems of life now exist because of this one moment where they allowed a temptation to become a sin. It's not a sin to be tempted. It's a sin to give in. And here we see in in Genesis chapter three, that Satan tempts them to say, you know better than God. By by the way, that's the, the, the foundation of every sin in your life. Every temptation you'll ever have is you know better than God. You know better than God's word. You could do it better than God can do it. And you don't have to follow his rules that are archaic and and old school. You don't need to follow him. You know better. You know how to fulfill your life. You know how to make yourself truly happy. And that's where all the problems come in. Here it is in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. Let's look at it together. It says, Eve took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and suddenly, everybody say suddenly, suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves and they heard the Lord God walking in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to Adam, where are you? He knew where he was, by the way, (laughs) just letting you know. Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid, everybody say, I was afraid. I was afraid because I was naked. And this is a fascinating story filled with all kinds of truth. But I want to dig deep into the relational truths that are developed here. Because when sin entered, shame entered. And when shame entered, fear entered. And then everyone started covering up. Right? They used the fig leaves. Now, we have much more sophisticated ways of covering up today. We, have, we put out a social media image or we walk around with a particular image. We want people to see not the true self, not the real me. They, we want them to see the filtered me, the me I want you to see. That me that's covered up in the fig leaves of filters that make me look better than I really am to cover the shame or the areas I don't want anyone else to know about. 
So sin enters and then fear enters and shame enters and the cover-up begins and the struggle begins between husbands and wives and in all relationships. Today, I truly believe is going to be a day of discovery for you. And I believe the light bulb is going to go on. For some of you, you may be married 40 years. And I believe the light bulb is going to go on as you begin to see. And as the Lord God reveals his heart to you in the struggle of relationship, I believe you're going to be able to see yourself in this story. So let's talk about it again quickly in review. I talked about some of the major problems when fear comes in that destroys and damages relationships. The very first fear that we uncovered was my fear of being vulnerable makes me create distance. Right? We all secretly want real intimacy, real relationship, real connectivity, but that requires vulnerability. And you need to understand intimacy, if you break that word down, it's into me see. Like see the real me. But we don't want that. We want the filtered me to be seen, even in relationships, because the closer you get to me, the more you see my flaws and my faults and my failings and my shortcomings and my weaknesses and my mistakes and my blemishes and my pimples, (laughs) right? We don't want people to see that. We want to cover that up. And the truth is there's a lot in you that you don't like about you. And you want to hide that. And you don't want to expose that to anyone. Genesis 3, 9, let's go back to it. God called to Adam, why are you hiding? Adam said, I was afraid and I hid from you because I was naked. Fear always causes you to hide. Put up walls. Let me just stop and ask you, what are you hiding today? In yourself, in your relationships, maybe even in your own marriage. Listen, you can live with someone for 40 years and never really know The details of that person. It's only what's being revealed to you and released to you. That word nakedness, the fear that they were naked, actually that word is more even symbolically than just the physical uncovering. It's it's more than just a physical uncovering. It's the uncovering of their vulnerability that they realize they're now unprotected. They're exposed and vulnerable. And God asked, where are you and why are you hiding? Because he wanted Adam to learn how to take responsibility. He didn't want to hide him to hide it and to fake it. He wanted him to face it. And so too it is today. God wants you to deal with your stuff. No amens on that. Okay. That's all right. No problem. That's, we're going to keep going. It's cool. It's cool. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Listen, friends, as long as you're living in denial in your relationships, there can be no healing. If we're just afraid and we let that fear that, that comes in to be open and honest, letting people see who we really are, Because of our deep need to be loved and our fear of rejection, we're going to destroy our relationship. It'll never go farther than the surface. As I said last week, women are often taught to express their emotions while men are taught to control and compartmentalize their emotions. And most men learn how to withdraw when they're forced to express their emotions. Men often use emotional detachment as a defense mechanism just to feel in control. Like, you can't make me tell you more about me. Last week, I taught you how to deal with some of the very obvious issues of life as it relates to relationships and specifically in marriage, how to deal with some common issues. I taught you how to deal with your hurt feelings, right? Everybody has them, but if you don't express them in the right way, unexpressed hurt becomes resentment. And hiding that hurt only intensifies it and creates bitterness. Roots 
of bitterness. We can't have that. Those hidden hostilities need to, need to be revealed in the right way at the right time so there doesn't have to be a reaction. It can be a response. Are you getting this? Last week, I taught you how to deal with your angry feelings, right? It's normal to get angry. God even acknowledged it. Be angry, but do not sin, right? So the greatest and healthiest couples aren't those who never fight, and it's not those who always fight. It's those who know how to fight fair, and they know how to make up and resolve things at the end of it. I also taught you how to deal with your sexual feelings within your marriage, it's, it's very interesting to me that the very first thing that happens when they sin is they immediately cover their nakedness. It's interesting how they cover up their areas of their bodies that they now saw as a placement of shame. And so too in relationships, the reason that often marriages struggle is because they don't know how to communicate their desires, their feelings, and what they're walking through in an honest way. And so what I shared with you is... Uh, from a leading counselor uh, in the nation, one of the best of the best, is a friend of mine. And as we were talking on the phone, he said, I want to give you gold, nuggets of wisdom that you could give away freely to anyone who would be willing to listen to save a marriage. And I gave you these three last week, but I'll give them to you today. As, as often as possible. Everybody say as often as possible. <laughs> as often as possible, you need to do these three things. And you don't even have to write it down. You can but you'll probably remember it. The first one is pray together as often as humanly possible. Pray together. Bless your spouse. Talk to them uh, uh, through the voice of God, so to speak. Speak blessing over them. Encourage them in the Lord. Pray over them as often as possible. The second one is play together as often as possible. Find ways and times where you can go on date nights and you can get babysitters or have your in-laws watch the kids for a little while so that you can just get away and bask in the glow of each other's love. <laughs> so, you know, whether it's playing tennis or going out and watching a movie together, whatever it is, Find time to play together. And so, first of all, pray together as often as possible. And then play together as often as possible. And then lay together as often as possible. Even if you're not doing the act, so to speak, that you're still vulnerable. As Adam and Eve were in the garden before the shame came in. And they enjoy each other's nakedness in that moment of vulnerability. And so, too, in relationships, as often as you can. And he said, this counselor said, and he's, he's been a 40-year counselor who's helped the greatest of marriages, the most challenged of all marriages, the marriages that were on the brink of divorce. He gave them these three, and he said, up to this point, I have a 100% success rate when they followed what I suggested. And then he said, so if they'll pray together and play together and lay together, they'll stay together, which I think is a great, a great way to enjoy your relationship. But today I want to talk to you about another fear that is so obvious and it hits us right between the eyes. It's the fear of exposing my own inadequacies. The fear of exposing my own inadequacies. It would be the fear of your disapproval makes me defensive. You know, it's so funny. Ladies, I'm going to tell on us guys for a minute and please guys don't stone me after the service because I'm honest, but I'm just going to be real with the ladies because they need to know it. If your car breaks down while you're driving and that car is, uh, you know, past like a 2018 model or so, 
and you see your man walk out and lift the hood, he has no idea what he's doing. The hood that's been lifted, it just blocks his facial expression as he looks down. And I can just tell you, I had a 1971 duster, man. I could, cha I could change the oil. I could change all the spark plugs. I open up my car now. And it's, a pla it's all plastic on the outside. I can't see nothing. And then there's 15 computer modules that I, you know, I have to go up to space to figure it out and come back down. And, and the ladies are like, well, he's fixing the car. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's covering his own inadequacy. But it makes it look like he's doing something that you might want him to do. Right? We hate to admit our weaknesses. We hate to admit our mistakes. We want to deny it. <laughs> But the fact is we all make mistakes and we've got to learn how to face our failures. Have you ever found yourself defending a stupid decision out of pride? Come on, somebody, right? You make a stupid decision and you're going to stand up and defend that stupid position. You're going to stand. I mean, out of so, uh, this is pride at its best. The middle letter of pride is I. <laughs> You're just trying to, 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 to articulate how amazing you really are when in reality it's so obvious you don't know what you're talking about. Look, I'm being real today, okay? I'm just going to be real. See, here's the problem is uh, the fiancé, before you get married, has this idealized view of what marriage is going to be and what you're going to be like. The idealized view. And when the idealized view becomes real, then what happens is we end up masking ourselves the rest of our lives. We take on the new task of how long can I fool this person into believing that I'm smarter than I really am or better than I really am? Causes us to mask our true feelings in marriage. And that's when tension and stress begin to build up. And God says, I want you to be honest about your inadequacies and stop being so defensive. Look, you need to take God more seriously and yourself less seriously. If you would do that, you would, you'd be so much better in life. Here's the problem is that the common reactions when we become defensive is we go from hiding to projecting. We accuse and we blame while we excuse ourselves. Here's what happens. We accuse our mates and we blame our mates. It's all your fault. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3 verse 12. I love this. God asked, did you eat what I told you not to eat? And Adam answered, absolutely God. I'm so sorry. I take full responsibility. Look at this. The woman you put here with me gave me the fruit and I ate it. Adam took it like a man and blamed his wife, right? And you know what's weird about this is he didn't just blame Eve. That's what we often think is that he just blamed Eve. No, look again. He blamed God. He said, God, me and you were just like this. Boy, we were so close. And then you gave me surgery. I got the scar to prove it. Taking one of my ribs to make this lady that's going to mess me all up. Everything was fine until you gave her to me. He's blaming God. Then Eve, she took it like a woman. 
and blame the snake. The snake tricked me into eating. Men have been blaming women ever since, and women have been calling men snakes ever since, right? It's true. See, here's the problem. Shame and blame go hand in hand. Shame makes us self-conscious. See, when you feel a hint of disapproval from your spouse, you start getting defensive, right? The more critical a person is, it's often a sign that they secretly fear disapproval. Maybe they didn't get get that approval from their father or their family or whomever, and now all of a sudden, the fear of, of your disapproval makes them defensive. The more judgmental they are, they're simply reflecting the fear of disapproval. Friends, we all have faults. Just admit it. Just be honest about it. But we accuse and we blame. Well, if I admit my weaknesses, maybe they'll use it against me later. Right? See, while we're accusing others, we're actually trying to excuse ourselves. Well, I don't have the problem. You got the problem. I'm fine. This marriage would be great if you just did everything I said. Man, you, you should have been like a marionette doll operator instead of a marriage partner. You know what I'm saying? Like cut those strings and let them be free to be who they're called to be by God and bless them and stop excusing your own issues. We pretend we're never wrong. See, the problem is we think if we ignore it, it'll just go away. Look, that's like... That's like ignoring a mold problem in your house. How many know it's not going away? It's only getting worse. Pretending it's not there doesn't make it disappear. Look at 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. I love this scripture. It says, if we claim to have no sin, look at this. We're only fooling ourselves. Everybody say you're fooling yourself. And refusing to accept the truth. Let me ask you this. What are you pretending is not a problem in your marriage? You know what that's called? That's called avoidance. And it's only going to get worse if you don't resolve it. What problem are you pretending doesn't exist in your marriage? Friends, you need help. You say, well, what do I do with my faults? What am I supposed to do? Well, I don't conceal them. I don't condone them. I don't justify them. I'm not supposed to make excuses for them or minimize them or rationalize them or pretend they don't exist. I got to admit my faults and confess them. Everybody say, admit and confess. Man, you will do your marriage so much good if you can learn how to admit and confess. You need to learn how to be humble instead of being defensive. The tragedy is, is that most marital problems could be solved relatively quickly if they were just handled properly. But pretending only perpetuates the problem. Let me say that again. Pretending only perpetuates the problem in marriage. See, we're afraid to admit that the problem exists and then we're afraid to ask for help. And so the pain gets exponentially worse. we got to face our faults so that we can be freed from them. That's the way to deal with it is admit it and face it. Another fear that comes along is our fear of losing control. We want control. And when we feel like we're losing control, we become demanding and insecure. My insecurity demands that I'm in control all the time. My insecurity demands that I've got to have my way all the time. 
My insecurity drives me and demands that I have the last word and the last say, and I'm always right. As a matter of fact, your insecurity often demands that you have to fight for your right to be right. The more insecure you are, the greater your need to get your own way. Look, if you're truly secure, you're chill. <laughs> like, even if somebody is cockeyed and says something so stupid and you're just looking, like, I can't even believe I married this person. But you know what? If you're, not, if you're totally secure, you can be like, they'll figure it out. God will help them. <laughs> I don't have to be right. I don't have to push every button. Here's the problem. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. Let me say that again. The more out of control you feel, the more controlling you become. We try to protect ourselves by being defensive and demanding, and it's wrong. Look at Genesis 3.16, interesting passage of scripture. It says, your yearning shall be for your husband. Now he's talking to Eve. Your yearning shall be for your husband, yet he will lord it over you. And the struggle for control begins. In other words, you'll love each other, but you're going to fight for control. When sin entered the relationship and, and Adam and Eve sinned, the fear entered that relationship and the battle of the sexes began. And the result is sin. It's all a result of sin. The husbands and, and wives, instead of complementing each other with their differences, they're now competing with each other over who's right. Instead of trying to find out what's right, they fight over who's right. How many know there's always three sides to every story? Yours and your spouse's and God's, and he's the only one that's right. They miss the whole point of marriage and, and teamwork. They're on the same team. See, the problem is they're, they're trying to compete with each other rather than cooperating with each other and complementing each other. Listen, the root problem of some of the marital issues that you're facing is this. It's that di your differences aren't wrong. They're just different. And in our fight for control, we become demanding and it's a power struggle. It's like a tug of, a constant tug of war. That's why there's such tension in the home. The tension, think about it like this. You're on one side, your spouse is on the other. You got this rope and you're pulling and they're pulling and that's the tension between you. You need to cut the rope between the two of you and come together and fight the devil on this thing. Stop, stop fighting each other on it. When, you're, when, when two people are very insecure and they're struggling for control, it is painful and tense. The husband acts like a dictator in the house to prove his competence because he's insecure about either his masculinity or his ability to help lead his family in godliness. And then the wife then becomes controlling out of her insecurity and, and tries to dominate to prove her competence because she's insecure in the relationship and they live in a perpetual state of conflict. God doesn't want it to be that way, friends. He doesn't want that. If you're doing that, stop it. <laughs> stop doing that. You're on the same team. Stop beating up your teammate. Pass him the ball. <laughs> Trust that they're going to shoot the last shot to win the game. You know what I'm saying? You're killing your teammate. You can't win a championship that way. 
You can't fix, you cannot fix the problem and you, until you stop trying to fix the blame on that person. You got to work on the problem and not on each other. When you focus on your rights, there's going to be a constant state of struggle. By the way, you gave up your rights when you said, I do. Mmm. Selah. Think about that for a minute. When you said, I do, you gave up your rights to be right. Matter of fact, let me just stop and say this. Those of you that are not married in the room, you also gave up your rights to be right when you said yes to Jesus because we've, given, uh, we've been bought with a price. We say, God, I give you my life, every part of me from top to bottom, from head to toe. I'm yours. You're mine. Uh, you're my master. And you're my savior. And you're my Lord. And I'll do what you call me to do. I'll be who you called me to be unless it's with my wife. And then I'll tell her what I think is right and what's wrong. Because I want her to do what I say. Who do you think you are? Man, you think you're the king of the universe to try to control other human beings? Are you kidding? You can't even hardly control yourself, let alone be trusted to control somebody else. Man, I'm preaching way better than you're letting on. This is so important. I'm trying to help you. I don't even want to tell you all this stuff. I made sure my wife wasn't here today so that I could tell you all this stuff. <laughs> she sends her love from Florida where she was uh, at a women's conference and uh, part of a round table there. But she sends her greetings and her love. But I waited till she was gone before I told you all this stuff. Because I know I'm going to be held responsible for all the stuff I say to you. Man. Let me tell you something, marriage is way more than 50-50. This is not a 50-50 proposition. You give half and I give half. You want to know why? Because you'll always be fighting over who gave 49% and who gave 51%. Well, I did the dishes last time. Well, so what? Do them again. <laughs> you ate off of them, you slob. You just ate. Doggone. Didn't lift a finger to make that meal, and now you're complaining about washing a dish. Now, look, I know I'm getting into trouble. I better back. I'm just going to slowly back away. Take a deep breath. <laughs> Marriage is 100% and 100%. I'm giving 100%. You're giving 100%. The, the definition of true love in marriage is all for you, nothing for me. And what you find when you give that level of unconditional love is you're going to get so much more back than you ever dreamed. Your marriage will skyrocket with beauty and love if you learn how to do that successfully. The antidote is total love and total honesty, right? Instead of being demanding and defensive and demeaning and distant, you become honest and loving and humble. First of all, you need to be honest with yourself. Proverbs 20, 27 says, The Lord gave us a conscience. We can't hide from ourselves. So the starting point for a great marriage is to be honest with yourself. Honest about your flaws and faults and feelings and fears. Admit them. And until you do, you can't make progress. So you need to be honest with yourself first. Then you need to be honest with God. Right? God doesn't expect me to be perfect. He expects me to be honest. Ask him to help you. God, help me with my flaws and my faults, my feelings, 
my fears. 1 John 4.18 says, we have no need to fear someone who loves us perfectly. See, here's where fear leaves your household. It's the Bible says his perfect love eliminates all dread. God says, come to me and admit your faults and your fears, and I'm going to love you no matter what. And then you need to be honest with your mate. James 5.16 says, admit your faults. Everybody say, admit your faults. Admit your faults one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. You want your marriage healed? There's your answer. Admit your faults. Be honest before God and with yourself and with your mate. Start telling the truth in love and revealing yourself because that's the beginning of healing. Well, you say, Mark, but what if they don't accept me? Well, that's the greatest risk you'll ever take is to be transparent. As a matter of fact, therapists often call this the trauma of transparency. But let me tell you something. The risk is always worth the reward. It's worth the reward. Intimacy comes as a result of revealing those flaws and faults. Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And if you want to be set free in your marriage to having a truly new experience in Christ, you got to share with honesty and develop intimacy through communication. The problem is we don't like to face the truth about ourselves. We don't like to take inventory of our own problems. We need to face our insecurity and stop hiding our hang-ups. Here's the result. The result is if we perpetuate the problems that could have been solved much sooner, it just causes more pain. Your insecurity is fighting your desire for intimacy. Think about that. Your insecurity, the very thing that causes you to, to, to avoid being vulnerable is the very thing that's keeping you from the intimacy that you so desire in your relationships. It's risky and it could be painful, but the pain is worth the payoff if you choose, both choose, to lovingly take the road toward intimacy. I'm going to invite our worship team to come as we prepare to close, but let me tell you something. It does get messy when you have to face the truth. It's scary to open up. I get it. But let me tell you something. Often, arguments in homes end way too soon. You say, Mark, you don't know how rough it's been in my house. Well, I'm not talking about getting volatile. I'm talking about getting to the root of the problem. See, the reason that you just keep bickering back and forth is because it's all a bunch of surface stuff. You left the cap off the toothpaste. That's not the root. Come on now. That's the result, but that's not the root. What's the root of that? Well, first of all, it's I want my way. You squeeze the toothpaste from the middle, and I squeeze it from the back end, and that's the right way. You flip the toilet paper roll the wrong way every single time. See, it all comes back to we want what we want. Your way's wrong. My way's right. I want what I want. Before too long, those arguments are just surface, but they end too soon. What does that mean? Well, the one or the other backs out before there can be true resolve. Again, I'm not talking about getting volatile and getting mean and calling names and none of that stuff. I'm talking about learning how to, instead of backing away, you both learn how to back down from your pride. 
get to the root of the issue. Facing the issue creates deeper levels of intimacy and satisfaction and fulfillments. The benefits of transparency will reap dividends in your relationship. So let me leave you with a couple of questions that I think you need to ask yourself before God. What issues are you avoiding in your relationship? What issues are you avoiding? What are you defensive about and don't want to talk about? Are you treating your spouse as a blessing or as a burden? See, Eve was a blessing to Adam. That's why God created that relationship that they could have a sense of equality. She wasn't taken from his head that she would lord over him. She wasn't taken from Adam's foot that he could lord over her. She was taken from his side close to his heart that she might be loved and they could share equal partnership in the kingdom of God. But they started to treat each other as a burden rather than a blessing and before too long They were fearing and hiding, and they were completely unresolved. God says he doesn't want you to throw away your marriage. He wants you to throw away your fig leaves. What are you trying to cover up today? And your spouse knows it probably better than you think. How many of us symbolically are hiding behind the hood of the car, looking at the engine going, I don't know what in the world to fix here and in your own marriage you're doing just that you're hiding behind the mask and the facade acting like you know what you're doing and the reality is you're so lost you've never been here before with this person you don't know what to do next that's why you need God I don't know how people make it without God I I don't think they do I flat out don't think they do We need God in our relationships, and we need God's love. God's love produces our honesty and vulnerability. 1 John 4, 18 says, Fully developed love expels every part of fear. Every part. When fear comes in the front door, love goes out the back door. When love comes in the front door, fear has to go out the back door because they cannot coexist. You want to know what happens in, think about this as it relates to love overcoming fear. Uh, Picture in your mind a house that's burning and no one wants to run in except one. It's a mother who in the midst of the flames knows that there's a baby inside that house and will run in in the midst of the flames. Why? Because her love overcame her fear. And so it is in godly relationships. Romans 15, 7. Here's the secret of having a blessed marriage. You ready for this? Romans 15, 7. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. Accept each other just as Christ has accepted you. The antidote for the fear of rejection is unconditional love and acceptance. That you choose to accept, no matter what, God's kind of love. Now, am I suggesting that you overlook or excuse major flaws and major faults in your your marital relationship? No, I'm not talking about that. You may need to address that with a Christian counselor 
or find a way at a date night somewhere where you listen with love and honesty and you're willing to say what needs to be said in truth and in love even if it's not easy to hear. And you may need to listen. Matter of fact, I would suggest if you're having major marital qualms, the first thing you should do is create a date night. But before you do, you prepare for the date night by writing out your, your known flaws, your known faults, your known failings first. And hand that list to your spouse first. Because that diffuses everything. They realize, hey, now we're not working on each other. We're simply working on our marriage. I think that's the best way. 1 Corinthians 13, 7, I close with this, is love never stops being patient. Love never stops believing. Love never stops hoping. Love never gives up. And as a man and a woman decide that they're going to give their lives vulnerably to each other and to the Lord, God grows them up spiritually that they're no longer acting like little babies and little kids that have to get their own way out of their own insecurity, but rather they're giving of themselves faithfully as Christ loved them, they're loving their spouse. And as it brings them together, it creates such an amazing relationship that it can stand the test of time. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, in this room, I know that this message has probably been both painful but necessary. And I pray that as we take inventory that we wouldn't be thinking, yeah, if my spouse would just do this, then everything would be fine. No, Lord, let us take inventory first of our own lives, what we've not done, the things we've not said, the ways that we've not chosen to be appreciative for what we've been given. And rather than seeing our spouse as a gift and a blessing, we're choosing to look at them as a burden. I pray in Jesus' name, we would learn how to lovingly care for our spouse and accept them the way you do. Thank you for that, Lord Jesus. Right now in this room, while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, The first thing I need to pray over is marriages as we've been talking about it. I know there's relationships, girlfriend and boyfriend and fiancés and things like that. And and, And we pray over you as well. But right now, the enemy's focused on trying to take out marriages and families. And I want to pray over you a prayer to solidly hold you together in times where the whole world's trying to pull you apart. If you happen to be seated by your spouse, if you want to join hands, you can. If you want to put your arm around them, you can. Hey, listen, whatever you need to do, this, this is an opportunity to refresh that marriage bond right here, right now, between you and your spouse and God. Lord Jesus, in this room, I pray you'd bring healing to broken hearts, bring healing to wounds, bring healing to those who have been offended and broken, bring healing to those words that have been spoken in anger and in frustration, and they've been absorbed by someone. God, I pray that you would give your healing balm over that heart that's been broken and crushed and wounded. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would remember what you did on the cross when you were hung there and you said, Father, forgive them. Lord Jesus, forgiveness is not only a gift we give others, it's a gift we give ourselves. And I pray in Jesus' name, we would break the bondage 
of the brokenness of unforgiveness. God, I pray that there would be forgiveness in this house. There'd be vulnerability in this house among families and in relationships in Jesus' name. God, mend broken hearts and bring healing right now. Thank you, Jesus. Now, while you just settle into that moment and you feel each other's connection, I realize that we have to give ourselves to the Lord before we can give ourselves away to anyone else. And if you'd say, Mark, that's me. I want to be included in this prayer. Maybe there's sin that's separating you from God, or maybe there's challenges in your life that have made you struggle and and, uh, straggle away from God. Or maybe there's been areas of your life you'd say, Mark, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but I really need to dedicate my life and my marriage to the Lord. If that's you in any of those categories, just slip up your hand acknowledging that need before God today. Look, there's no judgment here. (laughs) This is between you and God. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, but this is an opportunity for you to acknowledge before heaven. Yeah, God bless you. So many hands that have gone up in the balcony, on the main floor, under the balcony. Yeah, God bless you. So many hands that have gone up. This is your opportunity to receive healing. God bless you, yes. God bless you, God bless you, yeah. Yeah, about 20 hands that I've seen so far. God bless you. You can put your hands down, but I want us to pray this prayer. Everyone in the room and those watching online, I want you to pray this prayer out loud after me. Can you say this with me? Say, Lord Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I repent for all I've done wrong. I believe that you died and rose again for me. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for changing me. I choose to trust you with every area of my life. Now fill me with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can you stand up all over this house? Let's worship the King together. Come on, put your hands together and celebrate. Listen, sometimes it's for education, but for the most part, this book has been written for revelation that it can open up our eyes and to understand what we're supposed to do as human beings before a God who loves us. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to dismiss some of our leadership team to head back. uh, And those of you that have desired to go through our grow track, today is the day for you. It'll be available for you out these doors and to your left. It'll say grow track out there. And uh, it's just an opportunity for us to partner with you to see the mission and ministry of your life continue to extend beyond where you're at 
to see what God has in store for your future. Well, listen, in just a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer of blessing over you. And for those of you that are parents that need to connect with your kids before you go into uh, our, our grow track, you can go to the various areas, officially check them out. But we do have child care provided today. Uh, and it'll just be right up here. If, if you need that, you can let us know. We're so honored to serve you and partner with you today. And I want to release you with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and bring you peace. And may the Lord our God write his name on your hearts and declare you're my child. No one can take you from my hand. May you know the love of your Savior that came and died for you and rescued you. And may you give that love away to as many people as humanly possible. I bless you to be a blessing to your family and your friends and your co-workers and especially to your spouse. I bless you to be a blessing in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Amen, amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a Jesus-filled rest of the week. We'll see you either this Wednesday or next Sunday or in our grow track after the service. God bless you. You're dismissed.